Please join with me in prayer. Oh God, we need you and we need each other. Open our hearts and our minds for what you have for us this day. Amen. It has been years since I have preached on the book of Jonah. It brings back memories of a Sunday evening in the 1980s when I sat listening to an Old Testament professor preach on this text at the ordination service of my friend Barbara Heinlein. The professor had traveled to Reedsport, Oregon to preach the sermon for the first woman to be called as a solo pastor in the American Baptist Churches of Oregon. At that time, I had been a part of the Emerald Congregation who were grieving the loss of Marv Friesen, who had just retired as pastor. I had been on the staff for five years, and I was very clear that I had no interest in ordained ministry. It was during the preaching of this sermon on Jonah when the professor talked about the meaning of the Hebrew words describing the depth of the ocean and explaining the meaning of the three days in the belly of the fish that my mind went to the three previous years of our lives. Our young son had been hospitalized and diagnosed with a tough disease. I had been involved in a serious accident on my morning jog. And Ken was then living and working in Salem because the bottom had fallen out of Eugene's economy. President Reagan's trickle-down theory was an illusion, and Oregon was not in a recession, but in a depression. Our house had been on the market for a year. Our plan was to move to Salem with the hope of rebuilding our lives. I thoroughly identified with the speaker's definition of Sheol. Like a drowning man in the farthest depths of the sea, Jonah was shut out from God's presence, and I had felt shut off from God's presence. It was while I was listening to that sermon that I experienced an overwhelming and most mysterious knowing that I was to go to seminary. I sat in that small church sanctuary having various people's words come back to me from past con conversations and encounters, it feels vulnerable, even today reflecting on that long ago, incredibly uncanny, mysterious, uncomfortable, yet powerful experience. When we were driving home, Ken turned to me and said, you were thinking about going to seminary, weren't you? When we arrived home, our house that had been on the market for a year had sold that day. There is a section of this story, an image that has always stayed with me. It comes from these words. Then the sailors became afraid and every man cried to his God and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, lain down and fallen asleep. The sailors 
offered the wake-up call. The situation was desperate. When there is a calling upon our lives, we are often in a frantic situation, a chaotic time, and there is often a demand to get rid of the extra cargo. For six months following that long ago ordination service, I argued with God. I tried making it clear to God that it would not work for me or Ken or for our boys to move to the Bay Area in order for me to attend seminary. I did not want to uproot our sons who were 10 and 13. But after one long sleepless night, I finally said yes to God. We had three major sales to unload the cargo of our lives. We sold our 4-H animals, bales of fencing, bags of feed, and endless piles of stuff that represented life on nine acres in the country. We grieved the loss of a new passive solar home that Ken had built. The harder cargo for me was to get rid of the kind that resides deep within one's psyche. Water is symbolic of the unconscious. Jonah's descent into the unconscious was to enable him to become aware, conscious, clear, in other words, to wake up. William Bridges, in his book, Managing Transitions, talks about unloading old baggage as part of transitions. We need to be prepared that sometimes unresolved past issues come up during change. Our mandate, like the people of the Jonah text, is to discern what the compelling task is that God has for us. The whole thrust of the book of Jonah is to offer a parable. The story takes a jab at those of that day who hated all foreigners. In contrast to Jonah and his point of view, the story portrays the love and unpredictable mercy of God upon the dreaded Assyrian Empire. I can identify with Jonah's resentment of God's mandate. He heard God's call to Nineveh and he immediately Googled Tarshish and bought a ticket. Even though his name means dove, he had no peace-loving feelings towards Nineveh. It was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, now known as Iraq. Assyria was the historic enemy of Israel. Jonah clearly had an understanding about what historically had happened to God's messengers. And he had no desire to be a part of an intervention in order to save the city of Nineveh. The story has the capacity to touch us on a rather uncomfortable level, doesn't it? Jonah fought God's call every step of the way. I can picture him with his clenched teeth, putting up posters around town, directing people to the town square for a Wednesday night meeting. After the singing of a few hymns, he stepped to the pulpit and offered his words, all eight of them. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Even our Episcopal friends would find that to be a short homily. 
He'd done what God had asked him, and he was out of there. No one could have predicted the outcome, least of all Jonah. He did what God called him to do, but he still clung to the belief that Nineveh should and would be destroyed. He could not have predicted that the king would take his words seriously and demand that a fast be instituted by every person and every animal. The king demanded that everyone was to wear sackcloth and ashes. And rather than having the pleasure of watching Nineveh go up in smoke, Jonah witnessed the city responding to God by repenting of their actions. Jonah, like so many of us, wants to make the discernment as to who will receive God's grace and who won't. He learned what we all must learn, which is God does not keep this story under the category of fair. It is designed to fit under the heading of grace. As always, we're invited into the story. I confess that it is difficult for me to look across the political aisle and have respect for those with very opposite beliefs. The call to care for our enemies is a tough one. It's challenging to care for those with opposite viewpoints. There are many of us who avoid political and religious discussions even within our own families. When I was a pastor in Minnesota, I will never forget standing in a circle of mourners on the north side of Minneapolis as we lamented and honored the life of a young man who had been gunned down while riding his bike. In the midst of the memorial, I was introduced to a group of women who I learned was made up of mothers of young men. Some of their sons had murdered, and some of the mother's sons had been murdered. It was founded by a mother whose son had been killed. I was astounded and deeply moved by their commitment to come together and work through the pain and loss that they had each experienced. They have been a model for me of the power of God's healing touch that can move people out of the depths of hell and shift them into places where they have become wounded healers, bridges of hope and new life. Jesus called forth folks, asking them to be willing to invest themselves in others' lives. Like Jonah, not all of us find it easy to say yes. Some of us have internal work to do to unload heavy emotional or disordered spiritual cargo. As individuals and as a community of faith looking towards our 100th anniversary, we are taking our place in the long history of the church as we listen for the nudging of the spirit. Yes, we will celebrate our past, but it is a time to discern our future. Finding common ground is some of the hardest work we enter into because it demands opening ourselves to that which we sometimes would 
prefer not to be involved. It demands listening, compassion, caring. It demands believing in God who loves unconditionally. It demands believing in a God who does not give up on us or our enemies. It demands believing in a God who heals and forgives. We tend to forget the compelling nature of Jesus that enabled people to radically turn their lives to a new direction. The story of Jonah and the story of Jesus calling forth disciples tells us about the power of God to create followers. Jonah's story invites us to name what we might be holding down. God's calls upon our lives invite us to be freed up. To follow means discerning the unique invitation for each person. The miraculous part is the connection with God that enables a sense of flow or a sense of unity with God. That's what the reign of God is all about. It's about entering into the sacred waters of God's love and giving ourselves over to God's desires for us because God desires more for us than we desire for ourselves. Our mandate, like Jonah's, is to discern the compelling task that God has for us. It's a surrendering process, and it is a deliverance. It is a deliverance. May it be so. Amen.